This sermon is on justification. The Romans passage is on justification. Justification has been maybe the critical issue in my life. And I think it, it, it probably is a major issue for most of us this morning. Justification is a printing term. Uh, you know, the print is justified on the page when it lines up, when it's not jumbled, when the lines are equal on the left and the right side. Justified print is easy to read. It's easy on the eyes. It, fit, it fits in. It's in place. Um, you know, we don't like to read things that aren't justified. I remember when um, newspapers first started publishing color photographs, uh, the, the print was not justified that the color would bleed. You know, like the red would bleed into the sky, and you'd think, what's going on here? Uh, justified is, it, it just fits in, it belongs. And, you know, being justified is, is fitting in. There's a place at the table. Uh, we, we fit in on the staff. We fit in on the team, in the, in the business, in the church. It's an important issue. We, we experience justification almost daily. Um, when we, when we explain ourselves, we justify ourselves. When we rationalize something, we're justifying ourselves. When we, when we spin things, when we try to prove ourselves, when we, uh, when we defend ourselves, we, we are justifying ourselves. This is why there are press conferences, so that uh, a person can explain what they've done. You know, I heard a person this week in our church talk about how they couldn't just justify using herbicides in their garden. You know, it just wasn't good for the earth. I, I'm just not justified when I do it. When somebody invites us for dinner or invites us to a party and, you know, we, we don't want to go, we feel like we have to justify why we, we don't want to go. It isn't enough just to say no. Now, I do want to say that Miss Manor says it is enough just to say no. You don't have to justify why you're not going, but I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> You know, we, sometimes we reach the end of the day and we think, I just couldn't justify how I spent my time today. You know, I just wasted my time. So that kind of justification is important to us. Sometimes, I think frequently, we ask God to justify God's self to us. When we ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people? We're asking God to justify God's behavior. God, rationalize it. Defend yourself. You know, and there's also the question, why do, why do uh, bad things happen to, good things happen to bad people? And, and, and um, you know, God justify that. So what justifies us? You know, well, race often justifies who we are. Race will determine whether we fit in or not. Um, gender often determines whether we fit in or not. Orientation, we clearly know, determines whether we fit in or not. Looks, looks do. I mean, you know, look at the magazines in the checkout line at the grocery store. Uh, how much is it about how we look? Um, have we lost enough weight so that we look good? 
Um, you know, do we look too old? Should we do something with our hair? We are justified by how we look. You know, the political party we're in justifies us. Our nationality or the country we're from justifies us. I mean, the immigration debate is about um, you're not justified. You're not from the right country. You don't deserve a place at the table. So there's justification everywhere. Two places that I, I think of are, are, are very common. One is busyness and productivity. Those are huge ways that we justify ourselves, aren't they? Um, it, it almost happens invariably when somebody retires, they, you know, they'll say to me, I retired and I've never been busier. You know, it, it's, it's like, it, it's not enough to retire and just sit around and watch TV. I've gotta be busy. You know, I'm, I'm going everywhere, I'm doing everything, you know, I, I'm justified. Another way we justify ourselves is through our numbers. You know, what is the bottom line? What is the fourth quarter? What is the attendance? Are we justified or not? You know, it, some of us have, have kind of been amused by the president's, you know, concern about the largest inaugural crowd. Yeah. Is that, you know, is he justified in having the largest, you know, his presidency is justified. The Methodist Church has it all over him in terms of numbers. Colleen and I have to turn in numbers all the time, you know, to justify our ministry and to justify our church. You know, what is our attendance every Sunday? How many baptisms do we do? How many new members? How many professions of faith? How many confirmations? What is our, what is our offering? How much are we giving to mission? We are number-driven to justify who we are. Yeah. Um, we are so driven by justification, um, you know, it's important who justifies us. Who is the audience? Often when we um, seek justification, we're playing before an audience. We're, we're playing before a base. Um, we play before our boss. We play before um, our spouse. We sometimes play before our children. We certainly play before our parents, our coaches. You know, we want them to say we're okay, that we belong on the team, that we belong in the school, that we belong uh, at the table. The pride parade is certainly, as Colleen mentioned in her prayer, the pride parade is certainly about justification. You know, that the people who are in the parade and the people watching feel justified, that their orientation is justified. There is a place at the table, and it's really important. You know, I, for, for at least one afternoon every year, I feel justified when we, when we get that, that rise, you know, right around nationwide, um, just, just uh, north of nationwide, and you come down that rise and you see that huge crowd waiting for you. Whether you're gay or straight or bi or whatever, you feel justified. People are saying, you belong here. You know, it's a wonderful experience. We fear losing our justification, don't we? I mean, that's why, that's why people are in closets. We, we fear that if they know who we are, we're not gonna be accepted. We're not gonna be at the table. We're not gonna be in the home or in the church. 
Sometimes that's why we stretch the truth. This is why, you know, praise is so important for us. And criticism, we're, we're so afraid of, and evaluations we're so afraid of because we might be told we're not justified. You know, it's important stuff. Life, I think, is, is sometimes just this struggle to feel justified and to keep it because we know what it's like not to be justified. I mean, oh my gosh, I think of the junior high lunchroom, you know, eating alone, you know, I don't belong. Being cut from the team, I don't belong. I mean, that's devastating stuff. Jesus talks about, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the person who built the house on, on rock. Well, he's talking about justification there. You know, we want to build our life founded on a rock so that our house, our lives, are not blown away. You know, and Jesus then highlights the person who built the house on sand, and when the storms came and the criticism came, they were blown away. Jesus wants the house on, on rock. We watch Seinfeld reruns. Some of us watch Seinfeld reruns. It dawned on me this week as I was watching one that that show is about justification, that George is never justified. He's always trying to justify himself with, with his parents, with bosses, with, with women friends, with friends, uh, with, with whatever. He's always trying to justify himself. And it's never a concern for Jerry. Jerry's always fine. He always fits in. There's always a place at the table for Jerry. Watch it next time and you'll realize I'm right. Um, most of our justification revolves around trying to earn something, trying to deserve something, trying to merit something. It revolves around who we are and what we do. It revolves around conditional love, doesn't it? That we earn that love. And, you know, many of us wrestle with that in our relationship with our parents, that our parents or a parent loved us conditionally. And we feel like we've always got to earn that love, earn that blessing. You know, and it kind of marks us through our whole life. And others experienced unconditional love or unconditional love from a parent, and that marks us through our life too, and it makes us very different. Paul, in this passage in Romans, which I think is basically the gospel in, in eight verses, is saying there's a different kind of love than conditional love. There's a different kind of love where you don't have to prove yourself, you don't have to earn it, you don't merit it. It's not about who you are or what you do. And it's God's unconditional love. We are justified by faith that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It's not about who we are, it's about who God is. 
and it's unconditional. It's building on rock. <laughs> when Tommy Lasorda was manager of the Dodgers years ago, he had a catcher who was Italian, and he praised this catcher to the skies. And, and the sports writer said to him, Tommy, you love that guy because he's Italian. And Lasorda said, I don't love him because he's Italian. I love him because I'm Italian. And I thought, that's it. That's it. God loves me not for who I am. God loves me for who God is. It's unconditional love. When we baptize a person in the church, that's what, that's what we said to Broderick. You are loved unconditionally. There's a place at the table because of God's love. So many of Jesus' parables revolve around this tension of unconditional and conditional love. Um, the parable that a lot of us wrestle with of the workers in the vineyard, those who work 12 hours and are paid the same amount as those who work an hour. And we say it's not fair, it's not justified. But Jesus' point is God's love is for all. Regardless, the prodigal son. Sometimes we wrestle with the prodigal son. He leads this dissolute life and he comes home and the father loves him unconditionally. And the older brother has trouble with that. I've worked all this time earning your love. And now you just give it to everybody. The older brother doesn't realize that he's been given a gift but he just won't open it. How often are we given the gift of God's love and we just won't open it because we're trying to earn it? God loves us unconditionally. Paul says when we understand that justification, that God says we have a place at the table, we experience peace. And I think that's true. When I feel justified, I'm at peace. When I hit that hill by nationwide, I'm at peace because I'm justified. Other words we use instead of peace are we feel saved. We feel resurrected. We feel new life. We can relax. We can let our hair down if we have it. We can experience joy in our life. We can receive beauty and blessing. We don't have to fight anymore. We can just be who we are. And it's a wonderful, blessed feeling to have that peace of justification. And then Paul goes on with this wonderful chain that makes all the sense in the world that when we have this peace of justification, we can suffer because we know that God loves us. And when we suffer, we can endure because we know the suffering isn't the final word. And through that endurance, we build character. We know that. And through character, we have hope that does not disappoint us. So how do we receive this gift? This, how do we open this present? Well, two things. One is, Paul says, 
Christ died for us. That proves God's love for us. When we were in the march yesterday and we hit that corner of, of, at broad and high, the protesters were there with their signs. And one of the protesters had a sign, and all it said on it was, Jesus died for us. And the person, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. And I thought, that's right. I agree with that. I agree with that. We all agree with that. Jesus died for us. Great sign. And, and I thought, we had a lot of good signs. We should have had that one. We should have had that in our, in our, in our church. You know, because we believe that. Jesus died for us. That's why we're justified. It's Jesus' love and God's love that justifies us. Gosh, I wish I'd gotten a picture with that protester, you know. The second thing is, whenever I fall into this trap of trying to prove myself, defend myself, you know, about who I am and what I do, I need to just stop and think, John, the important question is, whose are you? Whose are you? Are you God's child, loved unconditionally? John, slow down and accept that and open the present. It makes a world of difference which world we live in, the unconditional love or the conditional love. When we live in the unconditional world, we don't have to earn God's love. All we do is express it. We just express the love to others that we've been given. This summer, Colleen and I have decided to do two sermon series. She is, it ends up that she's preaching every first Sunday during the summer. And so Colleen will be doing a series on the meaning of communion. I'm doing a series on justification, how we fit in, how we belong. Um, how we fit in next week with our neighbor and our enemies. The following week, how we, well, two weeks, how we fit in with creation and God's world, how we fit in with the economy, how we fit in with our country, how we fit in in the economy, um, those kind of things. And, but I think this is important for us to begin how we fit in with everything else by realizing how we fit in with God because that determines how we fit in with everything else. Now I have one last story, and I've told this before, but like Seinfeld reruns, we like them. Um, and it was 11 years ago when I told this, and who heard it, you know? I asked people this week, nobody remembered it, um, which is common. Um, when we lived in Dayton, uh, I had this friend, Dave, and Dave and I were opposites on almost everything. Um, <laughs> Dave didn't really go to church. I did. Um, Dave was a, a Republican. I'm not. Um, Dave was, was very wealthy. I'm not. Um, 
Dave had a huge house that mine could easily fit inside. Um, he had cars that had all their hubcaps and uh, no rust. <laughs> Dave was very well connected. He, he knew basically all the city, county, and state leaders in the Republican Party. I, I didn't. Um, but we were friends, uh, and, and that was neat. And, and I, we're still friends. Um, <clears throat> Dave invited us, uh, Susan and me, to his daughter's wedding. And it was at a big, fancy church in uh, Cincinnati. So Susan and I went to the wedding, and um, we pulled in the parking lot and quickly realized by comparing our car to the other cars that we weren't justified. We really didn't fit in. And when we entered the church, uh, many of the male guests... In the, sitting in the congregation, had on suits and, or tuxes. And I was in my khakis and my blue sport coat. I did have on socks. And um, Susan, uh, I don't think, had on hose. Uh, and, you know, Susan whispered to me, we don't belong here. This isn't our crowd. Yes, I know, Susan. Let's just be quiet and sit here. Um, so it was a nice kind of high Lutheran church wedding. We were leaving, and, and we saw Dave, and we, we shook Dave's hand and said, you know, beautiful ceremony. You're, you know, your daughter's beautiful. And um, he said, oh, you're coming to the reception. And we said, oh, I don't think we're going to come. Um, Susan's got to wash her hair when she gets back. And, nah, yeah. and, and Dave, oh, come, come. It's going to be wonderful. Come. And so, you know, Rather than following Miss Manners and just saying no, and we couldn't think of a good excuse, we went. And um, big fancy hotel in downtown Cincinnati, and Dave and the wedding party were delayed because they were at the church taking pictures, and we, were, uh, we walked into the reception hall, which was huge, and there were tables all around, and tables of, of eight. And, you know, the, here were tables of the groom's fraternity brothers, and the, there were tables of the sorority sisters of the bride, and here were, you know, here were Dave's um, business partners, and, and here were people that served uh, on boards with Dave, and they were all having a good time, and then here was Susan and me. And, um, you know, we sat down, and we had some drinks, and, you know, you can only eat so much shrimp. And... And, you know, we had the shrimp, and it, gosh, it was like half hour, 45 minutes. And we felt, I mean, because nobody was sitting with us, and everybody else was talking and having fun, we felt unjustified, like we didn't belong. We, there was really not a place for us there. And it was just awkward. And, and uh, finally, somebody came over to us, and, you know, there were six empty chairs at our table, and said to us, um, are these chairs taken? And we said, no, please sit down and join us. And they said, oh, no, we want to take these chairs over, over here because we need them over here. And, uh, and I said, Susan, we're leaving. We're leaving. And so we got some more shrimp. And then we, <laughs> and then we you know, started to walk toward the door. And we were close to exiting. And, and Dave walked in. And he said, um, John, Susan, it's great that you're here. I'm so glad to see you. And, and, and he said, let me introduce you to my friends. Then we got this royal treatment around the room. 
went, you know, to table. Here are my friend John and Susan. Here's my friend John. And all of a sudden, we belonged. We were justified. They know, Dave. They're not crashing this party. They're not crashing this war. You know, they're justified. They fit in. Yeah. It was just a wonderful experience. So that's justification. You know, Jesus comes into the room of your life and says, Brenda, I'm glad you're here. Lee, I'm glad you're here. Dorothy, I'm glad you're here. You have a place at the table. May it be so. Amen.